Good morning. Welcome to those of you that are visiting. Welcome to you, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, here at West Main. It is such a privilege to gather here today and worship God on the first day of the week as he has commanded for us to do each and every week. And we want to give him all the glory and honor that he is due. Uh, we want to especially invite those of you that are visiting with us today to consider the things that we do and what we teach. And more importantly, we would like for you to ask the question, why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we teach the things that we teach? If you are looking for truth, if you're seeking after those spiritual things, we want to help you find those things from the Word of God. That is truly something that's important to us. I want us to look here at some questions. Uh, the Word of God contained in the pages of the Bible answers the most important questions in life. Questions like, why are we here? How did we get here? What is our purpose on earth? And where are we going? The subject for this morning's study came from various members who requested lessons on this particular subject about what happens after we die. So this morning I want to spend a few minutes on this last question, where are we going? And not just in the sense of our final destination, but what happens after we die? Where are those who have already died? You know, I wondered about this for years, even after becoming a Christian, and have been asked this question many times. Uh, my, grand, my grandmother, called her Mama, uh, asked me this question when she was 90 years old, uh, because she was wondering where Papa was after eight years of him having passed on. We sing about the glories of heaven. We've sung about those today. And as Christians, we know that our final destination, of being pilgrims on earth, is heaven. But where are we going when we die, though? Do I immediately go to heaven? Where are the souls of my relatives right now who have physically passed on? Are they in heaven right now? How could they be there in heaven if the second coming of Christ hasn't occurred and final judgment hasn't happened yet? These are among many of the questions that come to mind when you think about this type of subject. There are many misconceptions about what happens to our souls at death. Uh, some in the world would tell us, well, whenever you die, your soul's annihilated. It's just lights out after you die. That's false. Some Eastern religions teach that we are reincarnated and come back to life physically as an insect or as a snake or an animal or as another human being. That is false. Some teach that we're immediately sent to our final destination in heaven forever or immediately to hell forever when we die. That is false as well. Some teach that after we die, we or our family members who remain on earth will have the opportunity to alter our final eternal destination in some way. That's false as well. I'd like us to look at uh, a, a passage of Scripture here. It wasn't unusual for Christians in the first century to have these types of questions as well. And when we read of Paul addressing these types of questions, we can come to some better understanding ourselves. It's spoken of a lot in Thessalonians and, and Corinthians. Let's look at a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 34 through 38. It's up on the screen, or you can look at it in your Bible and read along. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and each seed its own body. You see, God does not want us to be foolish regarding this subject, but rather informed and really encouraged. God has made it available to us 
to know what we can know from his, his wisdom. We serve a loving God that wants us to have some answers to these types of things. Let's look at another passage of Scripture here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Isn't that wonderful? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. God does not want us to be ignorant, yet he wants us to comfort one another with these words. Let's look at one more passage here in 1 Corinthians 15. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's read a a, a segment of of Scripture here. Give us a few more details before we dive into our our real topic that I want to spend some time on. 1 Corinthians 15.50 reads, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Let's let's read uh, a little bit further here in verse 55. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Since God is giving us the victory over death through the Lord Jesus Christ, it should serve as motivation for us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our work, our labor here, even among ourselves, our brethren, teaching others, is not going to be in vain. That should be comforting us. It is not in vain. When we speak of what happens after we die, we sometimes see it as something that's really afar off, distant, mysterious to us. Let me tell you, it takes about six minutes without oxygen for the brain to begin to die. It takes only a few seconds to be struck by a car. It takes only a few seconds to suffer a life-threatening heart attack. The way I see it, everyone in this room, including myself, are six minutes or less away from death at any moment. It's the time in which we will go through that transition. We're all much closer to death than we might imagine, no matter what your age is or your circumstance in life. The fact is we're human and we're susceptible to death at any moment. It's an ever-present imminent reality, and I hope that the study today will be comforting and encouraging and motivating to you as it is for me. If you believe I, I teach something in error and I need a better understanding on any of this, this subject, please let me know. I'm just going to just handle a sliver of what we could talk about on this subject 
but I'm, I'm constantly trying to understand more of what the Bible reveals on this. Now that we have our mind thinking in that subject, I want you to look at a chart, and I know it's a little busy, okay? It's a little busy, but I want you to look at the left side of the chart, and we're going to kind of work our way through a little bit. Uh, this is something I adapted from a study that Bob Archer did years ago, and it was very enlightening to me and helped me a lot. So I want to present some of these things to you today. Uh, follow along here on the left side, and we'll see, first of all, there's a section over there that's located under time, and it's to the left of the vertical gray bar labeled death. And this is where we're existing now in the time frame. Uh, Seth gave a good lesson on this back in November on the subject of God creating time and, and placing all of the physical universe into the realm of time according to Genesis. But everything to the right of death is not subject to physical time as we know it. it it's actually in a, a different realm, in a spiritual realm. Now, while we physically live on earth, we are either under the power of darkness, having not obeyed the gospel, or we've chosen to obey the gospel by washing our sins away through baptism, which then saves us and places us into the kingdom of Christ, according to Colossians 1.13, as you'll see on the screen there. There are many other passages that relate this truth of two spiritual conditions. Uh, we hear Paul and Barnabas inviting Gentiles to enter the kingdom. Through many tribulations, they must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, do you not know the righteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then later on, a few verses later in verse 11, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I want you to look just to the right of that at death. Death is represented by that vertical gray line. James 2, 26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Next, let's notice that death is a separation of the body and spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals through James the body without the spirit is dead. Some might surmise, well, all he means there is just the, the spirit is just the life force of the body. And so whenever the body can no longer make any willful action, it's, it's dead. It's considered dead. Well, let's look at another passage that helps us with this in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Death is not merely the body without the ability for willful action, but it's also a separation of our eternal soul from the physical body. This would include our consciousness, which will be present in another realm. We will know who we are and remember our lives on earth, at least for a span. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So I can be absent from my body at one point, yet still be present somewhere else. It says in verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. There will still be an expectation that we're well-pleasing to God, whether we're here in the physical body or not. So just losing the ability to breathe and use our body is not all that takes place at physical death. We will exist apart from our body, our physical body, in the spiritual realm after we physically die. As we read from 1 Corinthians 50, it says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood is not going there. It doesn't exist in the spiritual realm. The, the separation of our spirit from our body does not separate us from the love of God. We still exist. Romans 8.38 says, Neither life nor death can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. When Jesus was talking with the Sadducees about their question regarding the resurrection in Matthew 22, he says in answer to them, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the living. Jesus was making his point clear. These men who had died hundreds and hundreds of years ago were still existing. They still existed somewhere. Let's look at the time of death. We're told in Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. But there are two spiritual conditions we may find ourselves in at that time. Those that are faithful, those who have been baptized into Christ and are found faithful when they die, are found faithful or found faithful to the second coming is one of those types. Another are infants and children, those who are innocent, unaccountable to being, due to being children. Another category is the unfaithful, those who are baptized into Christ yet have fallen away and returned to a life of sin. People can choose to disobey God willfully and not be in a saved condition any longer. And then those that are unforgiven sinners, those that have never obeyed the gospel and are lost. So one of the questions I have for you today is, which of these conditions do you find yourself in today? Which of the categories? Are you still lost, being held captive by the power of darkness? Or are you in the kingdom of Christ? Were you in the kingdom of Christ, but now you've since decided to willfully sin? We may not be aware of it. You may still show up, but you're really following after the path of darkness. You know. It's vitally important that everybody in this room be in the kingdom of Christ. If you want to both receive the reward of heaven and avoid this punishment of hell, there are no other alternatives. It's just two, heaven or hell. So we're going to see this even more closely as we go forward here. The next section at the top says Hades or Sheol. This is the place of disembodied, disembodied spirits, spirits without their physical bodies anymore. And you'll see that red circle up there at the top. It's made up of, of three sections as far as I can tell. Hades is what it's referred to in the New Testament. It's the Greek word that means the place of disembodied spirits. Sheol is the Hebrew word that means the same thing. So this is, uh, I think, a good example of this is, uh, you know, whenever we're told in Psalm 1610 uh, about Jesus and his soul not being allowed to remain in Sheol, uh, it says in verse 10 of, of Psalm 16, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. The Holy Spirit gives us some divine commentary on this in Acts 2.27 and verse 31. Acts 2.27 says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That, that is quoted. And then verse 31, He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. See, our Lord was resurrected. His spirit was rejoined to his body, and he was raised from the dead. Now, Hades is also introduced in the Old Testament in several places. If, just to give you a few to think on, Genesis 37, 35. Remember Jacob at death joining Joseph who had no grave? They were in Sheol. Genesis 49, 33, Jacob embalmed, joined his people. He joined his people after death. Job, his understanding of it. Job 17, 13, Job's hope will go with him to the gates of Hades. And Job says in chapter 10, no escape is there when entering Hades. We see it explained more fully in the New Testament as well, Luke 16, which we'll get to in a moment. But also we see in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of Hades could not hold Jesus. He was not held there like we will be. His spirit escaped Hades, as we read in Acts 2, 24 and through 31. So Hades is a place of disembodied spirits. 
there are three places or divisions in that place, uh, key areas. One is paradise. The other is the great gulf that separates paradise from torment. And the third is torment. I want us to talk a little bit about paradise. This is also referred to as Abraham's bosom. It's a place where those who are found faithful to God are received at the time of their death according to the word spoken by Jesus in Luke 16, 22. Also, we read uh, in Luke 23 another reference that Jesus makes to paradise. He says to the thief that was on the cross next to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe that's where he's talking about is that place. This is the part of Sheol that Jesus would be in after his death. And then he would return his, to his body to be resurrected just as promised. Some may say the paradise is part of heaven since the martyred Christians are under the altar in heaven begging God to avenge their deaths in Revelation 6, 9 through 10. I would, I would suggest that's figurative language there um, in the book of Revelation. It also states that there's a door opening that was standing wide that led into heaven, into the throne scene. Are there compartments there? Are there doors there? I don't know. We won't know till we get there uh, whether all of this is, is truly figurative or if some of that is literal. Uh, I recognize as, as figurative language. Uh, we get more insight into this from the account of the rich man and Lazarus revealed by Jesus. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke 16, if you wouldn't mind turning there. Luke 16, 19. Luke 16, 19. And let's see what else we can learn from this revelation from Jesus here in this story. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. I want to make a few observations uh, pertinent to our discussion today. Abraham's bosom is used to describe the place of comfort in the realm of the disembodied spirits. But did you read there in verse 22? Read there in verse 22. The angels played a part in delivering Lazarus' soul to the place of comfort in paradise. Won't that be comforting for those of us who die in Christ to be escorted to that place? We read of this great gulf that is fixed between the two, Abraham's bosom and the place of torment. So no one can alter their fate once they've passed from this physical life. 
there are no second chances in the, in the world of, of the spiritual realm of the Hadean realm there. Even the desire of those that are in torment are that their family members who are still alive, that they also avoid this place of torment and that they would want them to be going to the place of paradise. You know, I've heard it when teaching others the gospel that some would refuse to obey the gospel because they don't want to be baptized for fear they would be condemning their family members if, if they were to be baptized into Christ. Your family members, if they could be here today and they were not baptized into Christ, would be begging you to be baptized into Christ, get into the kingdom of Christ. They would not want you to be where they are. And there's nothing that they can do to affect you, and there's nothing you can do to affect them. So don't let that stop you. Hear the message here from this passage. Our family members who have gone without being in Christ would want us to listen to the gospel and obey it. Remember, it's only six minutes or less away. This is urgent. This is not something you can just keep putting off, thinking that, well, I'll take care of my spiritual condition another time. Six minutes or less away. And you'll find yourself either in paradise or in torment. That's how close it is. The world is still in existence in this story that Jesus is talking about. His brothers are still alive on the earth. He he wants someone to go back to them. The final judgment has not occurred yet. Let's look at this place called torment in the realm of disembodied spirits. Some believe that the place called Tartarus, uh, translated in the Greek, hell in, in, certain pla- in just one place in 2 Peter 2, 4, is this place of torment. Uh, but it, it could be another place altogether. I'm not certain. We don't have enough information to know. I'm confident in calling this place that we're talking about this morning in the Hadean world or the place of disembodied spirits as torment. Um, 2 Peter 2, verse 4, specifically says this is for the angels who had sinned while they're awaiting judgment. One thing stands out to me, whether the disobedient angels are in their own version of torment called Tartarus or in the same place of torment with those who died, either unbelieving or unfaithful, those disobedient angels have nothing to lose right now. Satan has nothing to lose So he is all about increasing his harm, inflicting injury, tempting and causing those to fall away as much as he can. He has nothing to lose. He wants others to join the misery that he is enduring and will endure. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 at the beginning of the lesson that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are still alive but are in Christ will rise next. In John 5, 29, we read, And and shall come forth they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and that they have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. All will be raised. All will undergo a resurrection. It's about the destination of that resurrection when it's over. Some will be raised to life, others raised to damnation. Let's look at this place of final judgment, this time of final judgment. After the resurrection comes, to, comes, the judgment will come, and it is final. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone here must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And John 12.48, it says, The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. We don't have to wonder how we're going to be judged. We already know. Let's look at Matthew 25. Let's read Matthew 25 together. Turn over there, Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of the glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let's skip down to verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And skip down to 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those who are judged faithful will enter heaven or eternal life to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not ever fade away, reserved in heaven for those that are Christians. Some will depart from the presence of God and be cast into hell. It's referred to as Gehenna by the Hebrews and written as Gehenna in the Greek manuscripts. Gehenna was the name of a valley on the south and east of Jerusalem, which was so called from the cries of the little children who were thrown into the fiery arms of Molech of an idol. The Jews so abhorred this place after these horrible sacrifices had been abolished by the King Josiah that they cast into it not only all kinds of refuse, but even the dead bodies of animals and unburied criminals who had been executed. And since the fires were always needed to keep that refuse burning and being consumed, it came to pass that it was called Gehenna. It's a place of seemingly perpetual fires burning. 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because of our testimony among you was believed. Who might you find in hell one day? Who might be there? You might be surprised. The devil and his angels will eventually be there. Some religious people will be there. We know that from Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Those who don't obey the gospel will be there. Those who are immoral and do not repent and obey the gospel will be there. Lukewarm members of the local church who never repented will be there. Those who don't care for others will be there. Those whose names are not written in the book of life will be there. How long will hell last? It's everlasting fire. Hell lasts as long as heaven does. Forever. It's eternal fire. Smoke of their torment ascends forever, Revelation 14.10 says. A place where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched, Matthew 9.44. The blackness of darkness forever, 
And this time, God will not be there in the darkness. God will have abandoned those that are in hell forever. Some applications for us. Remain steadfast. Great is the reward that awaits us as Christians. Anything that we're going through right now, all of the good works that we're engaged in will be worth it. The reward is already waiting for us who are in Christ. We're only going to exist here in this physical realm for a, just a fraction of our eternal existence. It's not going to be very long before we are there. The reward greatly outweighs the punishment. It greatly outweighs the sacrifices that we are to make. This is a serious matter. This is a serious matter. I'm not sure if we appreciate this as much as we ought to. Otherwise, we wouldn't be finding ourselves tempted so severely by sin and falling to it. Use this as motivation not to sin. No sinful thought or action is worth going to hell. Is it? Is anything you can engage in in this life worth going to hell? Anything? An unlawful marriage? Is it worth it? No. Pleasures? No. What's worth going to hell? There's nothing worth losing your own soul. Remember this. Sin is just simply not worth it. It's just not worth it. The cost is separation from God. And without forgiveness, eternal death while suffering in hell awaits us. That's what awaits those who sin and do not repent, do not follow after God. Our loved ones who die in the Lord are in comfort. You know, we've lost some of our members over the last few years to death. And we've lost some friends to death over the last few years. Maybe you've lost some family members to death. And we miss them. However, the best gift they ever gave me the ones that were faithful, was their faithfulness. The knowledge that they were Christians and truly following after God was the best thing they ever gave me. There's great comfort in knowing that our families are in Christ. Are your family members in Christ? If not, it's urgent that you try to reach them with the gospel. Have you lost some family members that weren't in Christ? Then you know, you know the difference. You know the difference of how it feels to lose those that are destined for torment and not for paradise. It says uh, in, in the scriptures, I believe, that my family members and our congregational family members that have died in Christ are in paradise right now. They're in comfort. They're in comfort. And I love that. I love that. Another lesson for me, many need to hear the gospel. So we ought not to delay don't delay. Don't make excuses for delaying to tell others about the Christ. Final judgment can come about at any moment. So you or anyone you know will not want to be caught without having obeyed the gospel or die before obeying the gospel. As we've observed from the scriptures, once physical death occurs, there's nothing one can do to affect the fate that awaits them. God is ready to receive those who will listen to him and repent. God is eager, eager to receive a sinner who wants to turn from his evil ways and be reconciled to him. God's ready for his people to repent if they're engaged in sin. Repent and don't go back. 
we're ready to be here for you as well. If you have found yourself really not committed to God and you've not thought about your eternal destiny, think about it again. If you're caught up in sin and you need to repent, if you've committed sin that's public or you just want prayers and help to get through whatever it is that you're going through to help you stay true to the Lord, we want to be here for you. The Lord is ready to receive anyone who would choose to obey the conditions he set forth. Sinners can choose to repent. It's possible. There are earthly consequences to sin, brethren, and those God's not going to wash away. So even when you come and repent, there are consequences to that sin. So you may need help in getting through some of those things, and we stand ready to help you in that as well and pray for you and help you. And depend on God to draw near to you and bring you closer to him. It is never in your best interest or my best interest to put off repentance. Remember, six minutes or less away from death. Everyone in this room has that. We have a choice as to what we want to do. And God will not remove that choice from us. As long as we live, you can choose whether or not you serve him. And I choose whether or not I serve him or not. So won't you use this opportunity when you have this choice right now, today, to obey the gospel, that you wouldn't put it off, that you wouldn't leave the building and die on your way home and be lost? Do you really want to risk going to torment? I don't think you do. I don't think you do. And I know that I want to go to heaven. I know many of you do too. If we can help you in some way, if you desire to obey the gospel this morning, We'd be pleased to help you obey the gospel. If you want to know more about what to do to obey the gospel, please ask us today. It's urgent. It's something you ought to act on now. If you need to repent of sins and come forward, ask for forgiveness, please come as we stand forward, as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Before we are.